Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Coming to you live from Los Angeles for the entire week, I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to SiriusXM Progress. Our executive producer is the great Chris Hauselt, running things from the uh, South Carolina studio. The Arbor runs things from the Brooklyn studio. I'm coming to you from the Santa Monica studio. It is the 72nd birthday of Tom Petty. And all night long, we're going to pay tribute to the great man playing his music and talking about him and, and getting your stories. What was your favorite song, your favorite album? I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. We are taking your calls at 866-997-4748. Really quick, uh, speaking of Georgetown, they asked Mike Pence, hey, 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 Pence, why didn't you condemn the violence on January 6th? Give a listen to what Mike said. January 6th was a tragic day. But thanks to the courage of law enforcement at the Capitol and federal law enforcement, the violence was quelled. And we reconvened the Congress the very same day. And we completed our duty under the Constitution of the United States and the laws of this country. There was a lot going on that day, so you might have missed it. But I made some remarks before the United States Senate when we reconvened. The first thing I did was condemn the violence. Brave. Very brave. I said, violence never wins. Freedom wins. And I truly do believe in my heart of hearts that uh, we did our duty that day under the Constitution. But I will tell you, as I've traveled all over the country the last year and a half, they told me I've been in about 32 states. I've, I've been very humbled at the number of Americans from diverse backgrounds and experiences that have expressed support for our actions that day. And I will tell you that when we reconvened the United States Senate, I thank the members in both political parties for staying at their post, coming back to work, and completing the peaceful transfer of power, and making what began as a day of tragedy a triumph of freedom.
He can't and I'll ever, never describe he can't, he can't say anything that day try to make himself sound present or the violence in any other way than the way I described it that day and the way I describe it today. It was violence, it was unacceptable. But at the end of the day, it was a triumph for freedom thanks to people in both political parties who did their job. See, I don't understand how you're running for president thinking that you're going to get the vote of the people who tried to kill you. Chris, I'm sorry. I was just saying, please clap. Yeah, please go. Please clap. This is a Jeb moment. They also asked Pence, hey, you know, Donald Trump, uh, he, he did this to you. They tried to kill you because of his lies. He asked you to throw out democracy and do something you couldn't legally do. And he still keeps insulting you every day. So uh, I'm guessing, would you vote for him again? And here's what Mike Pence, who is definitely running for president, had to say. Mr. Pence, if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee for president in 2024, will you vote for him? (laughs) Well, there might be somebody else I'd prefer more. Oh, how droll. Mother? Uh, you know, I'm sorry. I, I can't wait for Mike Pence to run for president just to watch him in the primaries and get his ass kicked by margin of error. Who's going to do better running for the GOP nomination, Chris? Mike Pence or margin of error? That's the only race he's in. He's got no heat. He's got no heat. No heat. He got no heat. Peter in Illinois. Welcome. Hi. Free falling, Hi. John. How are you? I'm okay. I'm a little irritated with Obama's buzzkill comment. And they talk yeah. about walking on eggshells, that you don't say things just right. I thought that was I wrong. Know. Well, I, I get it. I mean, he was trying to talk about identity politics, right? You know, he was talking about cancel culture, and he was saying, you know, my family, my kids, work that gives me satisfaction, having fun, not being a buzzkill, and sometimes Democrats are. Um, yeah, but he said in the context of shells as oh, opposed I know, well, to uh, posing fascism. I mean, come I know, on. I know. But see, that's that's what's so frustrating. He was trying to urge the Democrats to have better messaging. And holy shit, start with yourself, Mr. President. You need better messaging. You're you're really in this fight for democracy and you're going to be criticizing your own team for being moral scolds while they're up against fascists. I mean, literally people point. who are pushing, throwing out our democracy. Like, I I just, I don't get it. I just don't get it. I understand when you're running for office and you want to be so middle of the road. I understand when you don't want to terrify moderates because you're a black man running for president. I get it. But he's out of office. Like, it's not going to hurt him to come out and call a fascist a fascist. And, of course, all the media picks up on this. Former President Obama thinks Democrats can be a bit of a buzzkill. That is not what is needed right now. I know. Saddle up. Let's go. Let's get him out. You know, Barack Obama's had a tough for all these years. He can't get angry, right? He he can't get angry. If he gets angry, you know what they're going to say about him. So he can't do it. And he was just trying to say, look, we can be buzzkills. I get it. But it's just the wrong week. It just don't give them anything they can use against you. And he, that, by the way, happened on this broadcast because it was aired in our show. The, the Pod Save America guys talked to Barack Obama, and we carried that here because I was away on Friday. So, you know, it's kind of close to home. He said it in my house, for God's sakes. I, I just... Uh, that's not what we need to hear. We need to hear why conservative white people should be furious at the Republican Party. That's it. If you're a non-millionaire, why is it crazy for you to vote Republican? That is the only message these Democrats 
should be giving out. Not wh- why are Democrats buzzkills? Why? Because we're too compassionate to minorities. We care too much about uh, marginalized people. I, okay, I get it. Right. We want to be politically incorrect. We are politically correct. We don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't want to offend anybody. Sure. Okay. Get that out of the way, and then talk about what really matters. Right. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's I very frustrating. Thank you so much. It's so nice to hear from you. We're at 866-997-4748. Let me get one more call before Mr. Poveromo joins us. Uh, Beachside Bill, hello. John, good evening. Hi. How goes it? Good, how are you? I'm a little loopy. I'm a little loopy. Oh, no. Were you giving blood again, sir? You giving blood again? This morning. Every two weeks I call you. I stay up every two weeks. I I think the last time I talked was two weeks ago. I'm on the verge of 145, and I'm back on Twitter, so you can follow me. 145 is... For those who don't know, 145 means Bill has donated almost 145 gallons of blood from his body. That's pretty heroic, man. Yes. Well, I, I, I look at it as, 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 as civic duty, John. I think I told you this before. It's like voting. It's like uh, serving on a jury. You know, it's in that category where it's something that, I've been given the ability to do over the years. And, you know, yes. I, 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 it, it is my legacy. Like comedy's your legacy. You, you fell into that. You're into, you're a comic and you, you, you make people laugh. I help people, I help people stay alive. You know, that's, that's right. my, that's my legacy. You know, that's, that's my, right. whatever you want to call it. So you inspire me. But yeah, I want to, I got to go out there well, and give some blood and be all drowsy for this interview, some, for this show some night. Uh, I, 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 I think it's you, great. No, no, but. No, but I tell you, it's a natural high, John. It's like you know, it's like a high from the seventies. I'm not kidding you. No, I've done it before. I agree. I've I've done it before. I I know exactly what you mean. It feels you get this lightness in your brain, but it's not a bad thing, and you actually have the satisfaction of knowing you've done a a, a public service to people, and that your time of letting yourself do this and suffer this dizziness could save someone's life. Yeah. Oh, I don't mind. And then, like, tomorrow, I feel like a 40-year-old again, or, you know, close to, you know, a little younger. I have a little more energy over the weekend, which is great, you know, because yeah. it really is. It's healthy. Well, it's like you get, a, you get a free physical. I was calling <laughs> about, it is like getting a free physical. You know, I, I was getting them today. I told old girlfriends, you know, my blood, they check my, your blood is checked for everything in the kitchen sink. I mean, every fucking thing, you know, and, and, you know, I told old girlfriends that half of them all, maybe a few of them believe me, but some of them did, you know, they're going to shake their head like it. I'm telling you, I'm clean. They, they check my, uh, but anyway, you know, mm. but nice. what did you call about? I, I was calling about, oh, I, was I think about Leonard Skinner. Yes. Yes, that was my original call. You talk about gallows. It was 45 years ago today. I was in Salem, Massachusetts, visiting a friend. And I'd read the paper that morning. We didn't have internet or anything in 1977. And I saw Leonard Skinner was coming to Boston. I said, oh, shit. You know, I, I, wanted, I want to go see him because I was just visiting. I said, all right. I, and that afternoon, the fucking plane crashed. Uh, and, and Ronnie Van Zandt, remember that, Rod? Well, if you, you were maybe a little younger, you're a little younger than me, but. Ronnie Van Zandt entered the 27 Club. We've talked about that before. That's right. We know about the 27 yes. Club. He Kurt Cobain, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, uh, Brian Jones, uh, Jimi Hendrix, even Robert Johnson yep. and Amy Winehouse all left us at age of 27. 
Amy Winehouse was the last famous one, but I think there was one a couple of years ago. I'm trying to remember, and my, my brain's a little Kurt foggy Cobain. right now. Kurt Cobain. Someone, no, it was not Kurt, Kurt Cobain. It was Amy Winehouse was in 2011 or 2010. Well, they were both 27, and, and Robert Johnson was only Yeah, I know they were. He started the whole thing. I know, but, I, but there's, there's been someone famous since Amy Winehouse that, that passed away, a, a, a musician that I can't think. I don't know what else was there. It was so, oh, yeah, I wanted to talk about Leonard Skinner trivia. Just, Weed quick. I, I voted for Jimmy Carter in 1976. I was 18 years old. Why? Because he wanted to decriminalize weed. And I, and I wrote a letter to the paper a couple months ago, and I, and I quoted uh, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards saying that you can't always get what you're about to talk about voting. You can't always get what you want. But if you try some time, you just by fine, you get what you need. Well, after 46 fucking years, weed is finally a baby step towards being, uh, quote, unquote, legal, or whatever the hell you you're want right. to fucking call it. You're right. Uh, I, I listen. We're, we've never later. been closer, and it's and it's Joe Biden who uh, one of the things I criticized him the most about was uh, being behind the times on weed. Boy, yeah. he has compensated and has done more. We are closer to decriminalization than we've ever been because of this president. By the way, I'm looking up some names. Pete Ham from Badfinger was also uh, 27. Yeah. Yeah. Kristen Pfaff from Hole, the bass player from mm-hmm. Hole. Mm-hmm. She 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 oh, yeah. she was yeah. she was 27. Pigpen um, man, Pigpen from the Grateful Dead man. Was Pigpen from Grateful Dead 27? Wasn't yeah. Yeah, Mama Cass never knew wasn't that. Cass Elliot. I think Cass Elliot. Mama Cass Elliot was she twenty seven? I think she was. I don't Mama think she Cass was. Elliot. No, Brian Jones from the Stones. Man, Brian I mentioned Jones Brian was. Jones. I mentioned Brian Jones. The guy who played Chekhov uh, in the Star Trek reboot was also twenty seven. Otis Redding. Otis Redding. No, no. Otis, Otis Redding. Twenty seven. Yeah. No. Jean Michel Basquiat. Jean Michel Basquiat was twenty seven. Yes. D Boone from the Minutemen. My favorite. I'm sorry, I didn't know that one. Yeah, I don't know. Well, there's also you know John oh, well. Belushi. John Belushi. There's the 33 Club. Just to, the, yeah, we don't talk about the 33 Club. That's, but that's, that's John cigarette? Belushi and Chris Farley and Jesus. The 33 Club. That's a whole other thing. There <laughs> you go. Thank you so much, the, Bill. The, the, the secret restaurant at Disneyland. What about it? I think it's called the 33 Club or something. Oh really? I don't think it's for the reasons I'm saying, but you never know. we got to take a break. Thank you for the call. When we come back, we'll be joined by comedian John Poveromo and more of your calls. We're at 866-997-4748. We'll be right back. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah.
I'm John Fugel saying this is Serious XM Progress. We're taking your calls at 866-997-4748. I'm so glad to welcome our friend John Provoromo, a terrific comedian from Brooklyn uh, and raised in Jersey. Back to the show. You've seen him on Fox News' Red Eye or VH1, HLN, and uh, he does a great show called Dystopia Tonight. He books incredible guests, um, and I'm always very jealous of his hair that looks the way I wish I could get mine to look. John, well, thank you very much. It's uh, I bow down to your pandemic hair. I, I, I oh. try to do it, but you look like you look like one of the Oak Ridge boys. You just pull it off, and it looks great. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. I was in uh, I was in a store today, and some old dude goes, "You look like Cat Stevens." And then he took a beat and he went, "You know who Cat Stevens is, right?" And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> thank you." <laughs> like, yeah, I know who Cat Stevens is. I and hope then you he said as like, a Muslim, as a Muslim, I should tell you, I'm offended. You use his old name. I hope you told yeah, him that. Exactly. I was like, that's what, that's how I could tell that guy had not been updated whatsoever. You know what I mean? Like he seemed, I'm sure trash. So you know where I live. Like, I hope you guy, know who Cat Stevens is. I hope you know who Yusuf Islam is. You misnaming. Islamophobe monster. Exactly. I didn't want to get into that fight. Too much too much hostility going on lately. <laughs> well, uh, a lot of hostility, and that's just over across the pond. I want to play you a little bit mm. of this. Um, oh, sure. We, yeah, you know, I, we, 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 we like talking about people who've uh, had rough times in the business. Um, 44 days as prime minister, <laughs> and, and a, one week of that was just a funeral where you couldn't do anything. And today, British prime minister Liz Truss decided she'd done enough. I came into office at a time of great economic and international instability. Families and businesses were worried about how to pay their bills. Putin's illegal war in Ukraine threatens the security of our whole continent. And our country has been held back for too long by low economic growth. I was elected by the Conservative Party with a mandate to change this. We delivered on energy bills and on cutting national insurance. And we set okay, out you get a the vision idea. There's that for kind a low tax, that, uh, high you growth know. economy. <laughs> That would take advantage of the Come freedoms on, her, of Brexit. It's her, the last time we'll ever hear her voice. I recognize, though. No. <laughs> also, the first time I realize her voice. I cannot she deliver makes the Prince mandate Charles look like James Brown. I was elected by the Conservative Party. <laughs> okay, that's enough. Liz. I have therefore uh, spoken to him. John, Majesty any thoughts on, on this? It's, you know, the, the amazing thing is she went in there and tried to just do a full on Reaganomics. She, you know, it was Boris Johnson who raised taxes. She just tried to do what our Republicans all do cut taxes on the wealthy. And uh, pretend that's going to help growth when really all right. it does is help your donors. Of course, uh, even the conservatives in her party flipped out about this. It's been a big disaster. I mean, a smart Democratic Party would use this as a total refutation of the kind of politics and economic policies our Republican friends are running on. But the Democrats aren't going to connect those dots. No, not at all. And you know what? You know, I'm a nerd. So, you know, I got to connect everything back to nerd culture. And like listening to that, it just reminds me of like one of the Hogwarts professors resigning after they tried to kill Harry. You know what I mean? Like she fucked up. <laughs> she she tried to save Grace by giving a nice speech. And you're like, no, you tried to murder one of the students. Uh, you tried to kill uh, your own people. I mean, from Boris Johnson to her. And now I just I don't know if you heard today that Boris Johnson might actually run again. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. yeah, it just it never it does it ever fucking get better no matter where we are. Yes, it does. It does okay. get better. Uh, this is why I'm I come sorry, here. It, You're my optimist. It does. Well, you know, no, I'm not an optimist. I'm a recovering cynic. But honestly, like yeah, for everything you want to show me that it gets worse, I'll tell you if if, if you could get in the time machine and go back 25 years and mm. tell us that in 2022 we'd have same sex marriage, that right. we'd have Joe Biden of all people decriminalizing weed 
on the federal level. Um, right. if, if you that, that we had, you know, the lowest rate of uninsured people ever that, you know, that, that, I mean, in so many ways, we've come so far. Uh, the middle class is still completely destroyed. But, you know, it's yep. like these Democrats have a real record that they can run on and they actually can win on the economic issues when you look at what the Republicans are fighting to do. But it seems like fear of high prices it's just going to be driving the turnout. And uh, at least that's what the media wants us to think. Oh, my God, right. I'm so over the news telling me how Americans are over the one party that seems to be doing anything for nonmillionaires. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even I don't I don't know, like my friends and I keep talking about this. And from the time we were in high school to, you know, uh, it's almost been 20 years now. Um, we, we can know people, none of our friends can afford to live back in the town we grew up in anymore. And I know that's mo- mostly local politics and stuff, but that, you know, it branches out and none of us can move back home. None of my friends, kids, everybody's afraid that the town that they used to have and they used to grow up in is going to be wiped out because the prices keep going up. And the only people that are yeah. buying in the area are rich people and that's it. That's right. And then they're just turning into their own little Mecca. Yeah, I mean, and and it's everywhere. You know, this is happening worldwide. This is what the Democrats yeah. have been have failed to say. This is it's happening worldwide, and most of our capitalist allies are having much worse problems with uh, inflation than we are. But again, I, it takes exactly. longer to decode a smear than to spread a smear. I just don't understand. Are we never going to not be a reactionary people where we hit everybody like I mean, I've heard you talk about this for a very long time. I've heard other people talk about it. I've read about it where they go, hey, look, this is coming down the pike and somebody needs to do something about this quickly. Same thing with the abortion stuff. And Mm -hmm. everyone is like, no, don't worry about it. Not yet. Blah, blah, blah. And then when it happens, it's like, oh, my God, who could have seen this coming? And it's like, yeah, Fugel saying saw it. (laughs) he's been talking about it forever you know i just don't understand i don't know when we're not going to be reactionary anymore yeah let me let me i I got something else i want to talk to you about but let me get a call on that uh bill in new jersey is calling about gas prices hi bill welcome you're on progress with comedian john poveromo hello hello hi yes what was that woman you had on because i think she made my ears prolapse what woman uh, would that be that that woman's voice the english i couldn't with all the screaming. Oh, Liz Truss. Liz Truss, yes. Right. Uh, yeah. um, she's looking for work if you're hiring. <laughs> oh. Anyway, uh, John, do you mind if I answer just a couple of the questions that you couldn't answer for your audience? I believe I'm not going to do would, all yes. of them because there's not enough time. But, Go ahead. Uh, in terms of the oil thing, yeah. it depends where you live, the price. Okay? I live in New Jersey. It's across the river. And the medium price is around $3.60. Okay. So, you know, it's because Standard Oil, Rockefeller located it in Newark Bay here. And the closer you are to the source of where the stuff comes from, the cheaper it is. If you're Louisiana, it's cheap. So that's what dictates the price. It's an odd thing, though, because we are the largest producer of oil in the world. Yeah. We produce... 18 million barrels a day. Right. The second behind us is Saudi Arabia with 10 million barrels a day. Followed right. By but Russia, what, which is a little less than 10 million. And what I, I, live in New, I live in New Jersey and I live in a shore town. And I got to tell you, it's not cheap in the places people actually want to go. So it's not it's well, not cheap on the shore at all. Well, well, guess how much guess how much it is in um, what you call it, where Trump has his place. Uh, Bedminster. Yeah. Bedminster, right. Bedminster, the gas yeah. is $6.56 six over there. Mm. 
about an okay. you know about half an hour but, away. But you know what? So, I, I have to explain this all the time. You know, they're just told, "Oh, Keystone Pipeline. That's why gas prices are high." By and that's a complete well, lie. And you have to explain that. Well, and then well, why are we drilling more? Well, I, I can tell them that we have thousands of approved drill leases where they're not drilling in this country, but they've been approved. But you know, if we drilled on every yeah. inch of American soil today, if we took every place in the entire country, national parks, let's go, no protected lands, we drill everywhere there's oil in the country today, it would still take years before that oil led to a reduction in gasoline prices. Well, it wouldn't be necessary because if we reestablish relations with Venezuela to buy oil, the Koch brothers are going to love it. They built that installation in Louisiana when they were buying the tar sands from Venezuela, and yep. then they had a takeover, and they socialized it. That's when they wanted to have a second pipeline coming from Canada to bring it down so they could use those refineries that were sitting Pover Romo, let me ask you this. What do you think our right-wing friends would do, right? Uh, you, you can have lower gas prices right away, but it involves us buying it from communist Venezuela. Yeah, what no, they would, would not. a right-wing well, fascist do? Absolutely. They only no, care they about themselves. They don't right. care about themselves, right. but they have to pretend they have this economic religion. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But, John, up until 2018, it was illegal for us to sell crude oil on the market since Jimmy Carter made it illegal because we're not a uh, developing nation selling our resources. We could only sell refined products. Right. And we now export just a little bit more than we import. And we don't need to import it. If we stop exporting it, we would be the prices would be cut in half. Right. We're exporting like four million uh, barrels per day. You know, yes, but again, uh, it's but it, again, that's the whole point. There is no such thing as inflation. It's price gouging. It's mm-hmm. greedy people who are sitting on record profits, charging more because they can. Right. And our media, and the right. same people who own the corporations, own the politicians, and own the media, and we're all just right. held in thrall right. and never really talking about the fact that any society that allows billionaires and poverty at the same time right. is a society that's not serious about sticking around. Right. And in terms of the uh, the gallows that was built, it was yes. definitely uh, built off-site. It's got, uh, you know, these heavy 4 by 4 timbers, and they countersunk these uh, bolts into it. And so yeah. it had to be done, and they probably staged it. They put it probably there without the uh, post on it, you know, so it didn't look like a gallows, right. uh, just a box. And then they, they probably attached it the next day, but that definitely was a lot more work that needed to be done to make that thing. Bill, thank you very much for the call. John, any thoughts from that before I move on? You know what's hilarious? And it's uh, it's, it's not much of a third, just on the inflation thing. And I read this recently. And this is is the most, this is the simplest way to explain that inflation is exactly what the corporations want is price gouging. Arizona iced tea has been 99 cents. That's it. I bring it up all the time. Absolutely. And it's a conservative corporation. It's a Republican guy, billionaire, who who owns it. But he made a choice that he was not going to raise the price. And Arizona iced tea, which I don't drink. It's all sugar. Yeah, you know, it's also not my thing. But (laughs) he could have raised the price. But he said, no, I promised it would always be 99 cents. And they didn't. And guess what? He's still a billionaire. Yeah. And guess what? You can survive on only two billion in this country, it turns out. So I think Arizona iced tea is exhibit A in the proof that inflation is bullshit. It's price well, gouging. This is also the reason greed. why, by the way, people are fucking... They, they talk about quiet quitting and all that shit that's going on right now with millennials and younger millennials and all that other shit. It is literally because they're tired of shit like this. McDonald's can make... They can make their money and they can pay out 
however much they want without losing a fucking cent. And they can pay their yeah. employees what they want. And people know they're not doing it. So they're quitting. That's it. They're finding other lucrative work. They are doing OnlyFans and, and other shit like that. They are finding different ways to make their money. And yet these corporations and these people are like, people don't want to work. And it's like, no, yeah. dude, they don't want to work. They, they want value for what they do. That's all. Everybody wants to work. You know what example I love using? And I think this is this is kind of weird. So do you know how like the inception of cat food came about because cats used to be put on ships? Yes. And originally they were like, they were there to hunt mice, but they wouldn't do it because they would starve them first. They wouldn't feed them. And the cats were like, fuck this. I'm not working. I'm not going to hunt the mice. And then as soon as they fed the cats, they would hunt the mice because cats naturally want to hunt. I think people naturally right. want to work. They want, but they want to be valued for it. Feed us. If you feed us, if you give us money enough to live and survive, we'll fucking do your job. We'll do That's your right. shit. We'll make sandwiches. You also bring up a very good point. Why do we give cats beef? John, cats can't hunt cows. No cat has ever taken down. Give cats mouse meat. Mouse yes. meat cat food. That, and pigeon meat. That's what they want, people. Right. Not cows. They won't do You're that. Right. I'm sorry. The logic police. No. Quick break. We'll be right back in just a moment at 866-997-4748. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery Starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. And welcome back. All right. I got to talk about Laura Logan for a second, John. I don't know if you've seen the clip. I'm going to play it. Laura Logan, of course, had a distinguished career as a journalist at CBS. She was on 60 Mm -hmm. Minutes. Uh, She went through some terrible uh, uh, trauma during the Arab Spring overseas. Mm -hmm. Um, And in recent years, she has had a pretty rough time uh, becoming rather radicalized. A year ago, Fox News banned her because she essentially called Dr. Anthony Fauci a Nazi. And over the last couple of years, she's, you know, really gone a 180 from the serious journalist we once knew, talking about immigration in apocalyptic biblical terms, uh, talking about God in uh, rather scary ways. She's claimed that Darwin theory of evolution is a plot from the Rothschilds. Right. Jew, 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 Jew. She shared an article that said Jewish people were behind a one world government. Uh, mm-hmm. She said people locked in the United States in the 18th century were escaping the reach of the Rothschilds and the central bankers of today. We all know what this is code talk for, but she's Ms. coming Logan up with a rap went, album with Kanye. Oh, no, it's worse. She went <laughs> on to uh, Newsmax. 
Ooh. She's not allowed on Fox anymore. She went on Newsmax, and mm-hmm. she sat down with moral paragon of virtue Eric Bowling, also fired uh-huh. from Fox. And I don't really know how to set this clip up, but um, we go. she's embraced a lot of conspiracy theories, and she decided to vomit them all forth right here. Lara Logan. It's 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 frozen. <laughs> it's needs to reboot. <laughs> it's worth the wait. Trust me. This is this woman once called migrants a virus bomb in America. I love how the and audio equipment is like. You know what? We can't do this to people. The right out of the socialist <laughs> like, playbook. Here we go. You divide and conquer. You don't tell yep. them your intent. You get people to come in. You got your useful idiots. Those of us who are paying lie for these people to have all these luxuries and, and they lie yep. about. It. Yeah. How's it end? Well, (laughs) it ends badly for some. Um, Okay, so on a serious note, um, you know, people of all faiths have said to me that this is a spiritual battle. I am a firm and solid and immovable believer in God. And I believe that God wins. I believe that good is greater than evil. And I believe that the fallen angel, otherwise known as Satan, doesn't get to prevail in this world. So um, if you follow the Bible or if you follow the Quran or you follow uh, the Book of Mormon, you know, people talk in various different ways about the end times. And if you fight for God, God will fight for you. But people, final, humanity... Final thought, Lara, what, Final thought, He's, though, he's I trying have, to wrap I it up now. He's getting nervous. My, my audience is, is very God-fearing, God-loving, etc. Final thought. I only a couple of seconds, please. Um, you sent dick pics <laughs> to co-workers. Is God okay with a closed border? It's much bigger than that. God believes that in, in sovereignty and national identity and the sanctity of family and all the things that we've lived with from the beginning of time. And he knows that the open border is Satan's way of taking control of the world through what? all of these uh, people who are his stooges and his mm-hmm. and his uh, servants. And they Ready? may think that they're going to become gods. That's what they tell us. You've all know Harari and, and all the rest of them at the World Economic Forum. You know, the ones who want us eating insects, cockroaches and that while they dine uh, on the blood of children. <laughs> yeah. Those are the people, right? They're not going to win. They're on not- the blood oh, of children. Uh, Yuval Noah Harari is the author of the book Sapiens. He's been on yeah. the show. He is a widely internationally respected Israeli author, Israeli who dines on the blood, on the blood of, of children. children. Lara Logan has been banned from yet another right-wing network. A year after being oh. dumped by Fox News, she uh, has been banned from Newsmax. They said they condemn in the strongest terms the reprehensible statements made by Lara Logan. The channel has no plans to interview her again. Now, they, they talk about cancel culture, cancel culture, but they can't say it here. This is a right-wing lady who has now been deplatformed by two right-wing media outlets. Right. Yeah, this is the first time I've ever heard anything like that. I don't know. This is where I'm, yeah. I'm like, you, yeah, that's fucking wild, dude. I don't even know how you begin to unravel that shit storm. I mean, I know people didn't come out of the pandemic well, um, but that's a whole. Well, and, and, a dying and, and, and on the Laura Logan, I want to stress for those who don't know, she she was brutally assaulted sexually by a mob during the Arab Spring uh, while she was covering it with her crew. She, she went through unspeakable trauma. So I always want to have a lot of respect for the sure. suffering she went through. But again, you know, as we've talked about with Kanye, mental illness mm-hmm. and trauma doesn't give you green light to say anti-Semitic bullshit all yep. over the place. Most people who go undergo trauma don't turn around to be revolting Jew haters in media culture. I don't know if this is going to be a, I, I don't want to give Newsmax or Fox or any of those guys props, but, you know, it's it's kind of a weird thing when you see them 
we see somebody like Alex Jones or a Kanye exploited, like their mental health exploited. Because I know Correct. Alex Jones is a piece of shit, but there's no way you don't look at that guy and go, there's something clinically wrong with him, right? He's and that 48. These people... He's only 48. I Holy fuck. I didn't know he was He's only 48. 48. That's okay. So then there's more than just clinical. But like, so there's, but there's, you know what I mean? I mean, kudos to them for deplatforming her ahead of time instead of, instead of, because I feel like, not to give them credit, but that's uh, that's right for the taking. She get, she could almost get her own show ten years ago, you know. Exactly, exactly. And and I what don't know, it, I don't know if it's a new turn of events or this guy Alex Jones getting sued for billions. But you know, having her not come back on is uh, is pretty nice. Yeah. Nice to class up Newsmax. Uh, let's go to the phones. With I know a lot of callers who want to weigh in about various things. And by the way, I, it is good that Lara uh, knows that God believes in sovereignty. Richie in L.A. Welcome. You're on. God, hey, God believes Hi. in the sanctity of the family. She hasn't read the Bible, has she? Uh, no, God's the least pro-life character when it comes to family in that book. What's up, Richie? Oh, she read the apocalypse. She read all those gospels where everything gets blamed on the Jews for yeah, for crucifying exactly. Jesus. Um, exactly. I was going to yeah. say, oh, you were asking what our our first concert, whether we ever... Tom Petty was the first concert I ever saw. I saw the lawsuit wow. tour. When wow. he oh, nice. Nice. Then I saw, and I saw Leonard Skinner too, but I saw the reconstituted version after they stopped calling themselves Rosington Collins. Okay. I saw nice. them in Virginia Beach. But I <laughs> was, but speaking of anti-Semites, I'm just wondering if, if Kanye just want, is just promoting a version of Fiddler on the Roof he wants to do with Pete Davidson. <laughs> Kanye, Tevye, Tevye, Kanye. Yeah. Is Pete Davidson yeah. technically Jewish? I know his father was Jewish, but his mom wasn't, right? I don't think so. No. How does that but work? Kanye, right? It's only the dad. It's the mom. If you're if your mom's Jewish, then you're Jewish. Yeah. If your dad's Jewish, then you're not Jewish. But it is worth pointing out. Kanye has succeeded in making Pete Davidson look like the stable one. Just want to yes. just want to put that out there. Yeah, that's nice. Ken in yeah. San Jose. Thank you for your patience. You're on with John Poveromo. Oh my What's up, man? gosh, it's so nice to speak to you. It's Hello. always such a blessing. Are you Hello. there? <laughs> yes, hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, I uh, sure can. Can you hear me? We hear you great. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> I thought my phone was because I have them driving while I'm speaking to you. Okay. Uh, Be careful. Anyway, well, don't, don't let it get in the way of your texting. Go ahead. <laughs> but I've been, I, no, I don't text. I don't do that. I'm 65 okay. years old. But right I on. do music for senior centers, assisted livings, military, you know, whatever. I, I do performing. Um, wow. But on the way, I've been traveling from uh, from Santa Elena, close to Napa, because I was up there doing the um, event for Francis Ford Coppola's winery. Um, they did a with, uh, okay. raising funds for the homeless and stuff, you know. But oh, okay. um, your show tonight is so amazing, dude. You're always you. so amazing. Um, and I don't know when that damn hell you don't get an art, um, uh, Evan R. Morrow Award for your job, you and your staff. It's just amazing. <laughs> no, I am not a, jur- I am not a journalist. I no, no, no. No, no, Edward R. I am no, not no, a journalist. But, I don't pretend to be one. Well, the show should get the damn thing because yes, it's, okay. um, it helps me as I feel. You know, I work up. But anyway, um, my, my thing is. <laughs> I've been listening this whole month, and I, what has changed with the media? They keep on pushing this um, um, uh, uh, financial situation instead of um, um, our rights. If we right. get these people in, John, as you know, uh, we went through soup kitchens, we went through COVID, 
I took and stood in line uh, for, uh, for my box every Friday to get some food. I'm a, you know, I can starve, goddammit, but I cannot take away my fucking rights, man. And that's right what on. the hell this is all about. I yes. mean, let's get real with these fucking people, man. And who so the hell is right? we got to make a choice? You're voting, right? Yeah. You're going to vote. You're showing up. Exactly. I right already on. voted. Here in California, you can vote. Brilliant. I voted yesterday. You know, Brilliant. well, what the hell? And people need to Go learn how again. to vote upside down their ballot. <laughs> yeah, Ken, you hear Chris? Go vote more. Vote again. Vote vote as many times yeah. as possible. Yeah. <laughs> and when they ask it's you what happened, just be like, listen, I don't text. Busy. I'm 55. And then they'll be like, what? Provisional <laughs> ballots, Ken. You just ask for them. No one's going to challenge you. Ken, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being a patriot, and thank you for listening and calling us. Call anytime, please. I love you. God bless you. Thank God you, bless my you friend. right back. Uh, John, before we hit our break, any thoughts on, uh, on, on, on Kanye? Um, I, I will say Kevin Spacey's having a better week than Kanye. Yeah, Kevin Spacey's having a stellar fucking week. Can I tell you something about Kevin Spacey real quick? Is that yeah, I, I, first of all, I get it. I understand that they couldn't technically do anything if the jury, blah, blah, blah. How do you, how do you have that guy release three, was it? Like like uh, terrorist style videotapes in another in another character, and ignore that completely. How did the jury just not go? Okay, look, I know this has nothing to do with the case, but did you fucking see this shit that he's like in character doing spooky shit? And you mean also, when the Kevin people- Kevin Spacey was making releasing his own videos he made and wrote of him yes. playing Frank Underwood, his character from 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 House, House of Cards. Cards. Yeah. yeah, and and they were creepy, ominous videos, and then people that were supposed to testify against him at some point fucking turned up dead. So yes. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, I get it that he's technically innocent, but uh, that guy scares the shit out of me. Like, <laughs> there's no, there's no fucking way. I'm sorry. You can't see those videos. Guys, if you haven't Googled them, you can't watch that shit and walk away going, yeah, I do a scene with him. But here's the question. Should he be yeah. banned from working or should Kevin Spacey or should uh, Louis C.K. or anyone? Uh, no. who was taken down by these accusations, should they at least have a chance to try to come back and work again and let the let the population decide if they deserve it or not? Yeah, I don't. I mean, Kevin Spacey's going to work again. He's already got a movie out. I think Louis is different than those guys. I think Louis's always been different than those guys. I don't. I yeah. think the I think the headlines say otherwise on Louis. Yeah. But I think we all know that it's a different situation. Yeah. Thank you all so much. We got to hit a break. We'll be right back in just a moment. This is progress. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. 
Uh, this just in, by the way, breaking news. Herschel Walker just held up uh, Patty Lapone's equity card and says he is now qualified to play Evita. More on that as it develops. Um, I'm so excited. For these next two guests, uh, two very funny guys that have inspired me in different ways over the years, and they have joined forces to create an unholy wonder of a podcast that's all about comedy, the kind of comedy that is undeniably true and funny, and the kind of comedy that pushes the envelope, freaks the right people out, the kind of comedy a weary America needs. Dan Pasternak has been on our show before. He's made a lot of great TV over the years. For, for a while, he worked at IFC, and he shepherded the development of Portlandia and Comedy Bang Bang, uh, The Spoils of Babylon. And of course, he's done so much for the TV Academy for their oral history project of the interviews. He's conducted interviews with everybody, Milton Berle, Sid Caesar. Jonathan Winters, Bob Newhart. I believe he interviewed Mel Blank, the voice of Bugs Bunny, when he was only four years old. He had a tape recorder. They let him do it. We are also joined by one of my favorite comics alive, who has uh, graced our airways before, Mr. Paul Provenza, who I could spend all night going through his credits from Letterman to Carson to Kimmel. Uh, he produced and hosted Comics Only, which is one of my favorite TV shows Comedy Central has ever done back when they were a channel that talked about comedy. I got to see him play Picasso in Steve Martin's wonderful play in New York City. And he is the co-director of the legendary film, The Aristocrats, which if you don't know it, it's going to make your life better. It's there waiting for you. These two men have joined forces to bring us Obsessive Comedy Disorder, a 10-episode interview-style podcast, which uh, kicks off with a very special two-part special featuring Dan's conversation with John Cleese. I knew I would like something these guys did together. I did not count on... Obsessive Comedy Disorder being so smart, so inspiring, so shockingly funny, and just making me want to write. Paul and Dan, welcome back. Good to see you both. Wow, thank you for that. Please speak at my memorial. You got it. I'd love to. (laughs) I I think he may just have done that. Is that a bringer (laughs) show? Do I have to bring anybody for it, or can I just come? Uh, What does it pay? Um, Thank you both. Thank you, John. You're our our crowd, apparently. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Before we even get into it, let me let me just ask you, because it's been a while. Um, Paul, how have you been? How has uh, lockdown and non-lockdown, but still kind of creepy, been for you? You know, I, I don't even know how to answer that question anymore, because I feel like I'm in an episode of Black Mirror. I can't quite get my <laughs> how I am. <laughs> it's really, oh, these are strange times, ain't they? Yeah. I, I call it the age of uh, what the fuck fatigue. Our outrage circuits are burned out and there's just too many what the fucks every day for us to process. I, I feel like there's there's a download that I missed. I feel like there's some <laughs> sort of an upgrade that I need in my RAM in my head or something. I don't know. I'm so confused. So other than that, I'm OK. I mean, I'm healthy. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. And Dan, you've been with us more recently. But how, how are you doing and how are you faring post? I mean, but not really post pandemic. Well, you know, the last time we saw each other uh, in person, I believe, was at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Yes. And And one of us went home with someone new, and it was you, and you went home with COVID after that night. I did. I did. Yeah. Trevor Noah sort of uh, openly mocked uh, us one and all, saying, what are we all doing here? This is going to be the nation's biggest super spreader event. We all laughed heartily. And uh, and yes, I have been suffering from the long COVID that everyone talks about uh, ever yeah. since. So thanks mm. for that. 
Me too. I, I got it in April and um, I had f- multiple fevers several times a day, every day through August. I've still got this incredible fatigue from it. And, you know, I didn't even know if I'd be able to go to that correspondence dinner. Um, for me, I, I finally got a negative test just in time to go to Gilbert's funeral in New York City. And I, I couldn't help but think that if I hadn't been well, and I'd infected everyone at the funeral, Gilbert might have appreciated the humor in that. I, I kind of feel if anybody would have liked it, it would have been him. I want to make sure that uh, I get counted in the stats here. I, too, am suffering from long COVID, and the lethargy and the brain fog is unbelievable. It makes it's it way incredible. easier to deal with reality that's unreal. Yeah. Because I, I, I just, like, this, this post-COVID haze right now, it's very strange. I think we're going to yeah, find Paul, out. you got it uh, right after we got back from Las Vegas. Right. When we went to, to interview Shecky Green for our podcast, which uh, may or may not have may or may not see the light of day. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, and, let me, and, let me and, ask- and Gillette, by the way. And there was the, the great uh, you, uh, John, you mentioned the aristocrats. There was also yes. a great uh, reunion of sorts with uh, the makers of that fine film. And we, we uh, recorded an episode with uh, with Penn and uh Honestly, I sat back and just kind of watched he and Paul go back and forth. <laughs> and it was the least I've had to work on any one of these episodes. Well, for those who don't remember, Penn Jill, and Paul. The question is like dropping a quarter in the machine. You just leave it, you know. <laughs> for those who don't remember, Penn and Paul co-directed The Aristocrats. He's one of the great guests you have, as well as our friend Kamau Bell and even even Bruce Valanche. Let me get the obvious question out of the way. How did this wonderful podcast come to exist? What was the inspiration behind it? There's a lot of podcasts of comics talking about the science of comedy. And Paul Prevenz has made this an art form uh, for a while. I was talking earlier in the show about how much I loved your Comedy Central show, how I think Green Room is one of the best talk shows in American TV in the last 30 years. What made this project come about? Well, well you know, we wanted to wait I, until the podcast market was completely oversaturated. So this right. really felt like the moment. Well done. We thought, what what would be the best thing to do with our time right now and try and break through the din of the podcast world? We figured this was a good time. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it well, seems Dan like this I, is... Actually, a- Dan and I have written stuff together before, and we've collaborated on a couple of things. Uh, and, and Dan has had this obsessive uh, comedy disorder uh, brand, if you will, label uh, on a lot of his writing pieces. And we always talk about comedy all the time. And, you know, with the, you can imagine, John, when you want to get into the weeds with Dan Pastanak, you're going for a journey. And um, and we just always have a great time when we're talking comedy. And uh, Dan had this opportunity and uh, he so kindly and generously asked if I would get involved so that we could have fun doing this instead of working in isolation, as uh, is so often the case. But you there's know, also a larger, I think, need in the conversation around comedy right now, which is, you know, depending on your politics, depending on where you stand, depending on your generation, you know, it's like uh, the tribalism has gotten so deeply entrenched. And I'm not even looking in one direction. I'm really looking in all directions and feeling like, isn't there a way that we can put a little little bit of context around the stuff that gives us happiness, that brings laughter and joy and brings us together? And in fact, it really was 
kind of perfect to start with John Cleese and this two-parter with John Cleese because when I recorded my conversation with John, it was in Austin, Texas, uh, like 36 hours after we did this panel. It was uh, yes. uh, to open the comedy schedule of South by the South by Southwest Festival this year. And it was so it was John and Dulce Sloan and Ricky Velez and Jim Gaffigan. And I moderated the panel and it was a fantastic event. I mean, truly magical it's hilarious it's hilarious john himself said that it was the most fun he'd had on stage since the python reunion at the o2 arena in 2014 and then one journalist i'm doing air quotes for your listeners one journalist wrote this piece that was clearly just clickbait to uh excoriate john for saying all of these terrible horrible you know, incendiary things, uh, which honestly, um, look, uh, you know, I, I understand that uh, that John uh, has positioned himself as a provocateur, and that's fine. And I don't always agree with him, by the way, on everything. But I have tremendous respect for him. He well, let me, is let me one just, of the let me just... greats. But I just want to say this: what the one, what this journalist wrote about not only didn't occur in the way he wrote about it, it also wasn't received in the way that he wrote about it. And so we really got to have a whole other conversation than I'd even intended to have with John because we had to kind of set that record straight in real time in the moment. So it just felt like whether it was, uh, you know, the text or the subtext of, Almost every episode of this podcast, it really felt like, okay, let's just try and put some context around comedy as opposed to letting it be this, this, uh, this weapon that, you know, we wield against one another to sort of say, okay, what team are you on? Like, I'm really not interested in fucking teams anymore. As you know, when you talk with uh, smart, thoughtful comedians or comedy artists in all different areas of comedy, you know, we exist in culture. We exist in life as it is. And we that comes out in our work. And so any conversation that we had about about comedy, whether somebody's origin stories in comedy or their their pathways in comedy, whatever the case may be. It always brought us around to things that are very, very immediate that are going on in our culture, you know, right now and and i think that's really a fascinating thing when you talk with comedy artists again who are thoughtful and uh you know um aware um as opposed to just sort of live their lives in some escapist comedy fantasy which doesn't actually exist you know you're, you're always bound to get some really interesting conversations and really interesting uh, perspectives on things even when we did an episode with uh, eric bowser who is the new oh i want to talk of- about that yes Bugs Bunny and what have you. And, you know, just talking about Bugs Bunny brings up contemporary societal issues about, you know, presentation and and representation and all that stuff. And um, and so it was actually unintended. But that's the result of of, of almost every conversation we have is it goes to these very interesting and uh, perceptive places from uh, comedy artists as opposed to journalists. 
Well, that's that's what I love about the pod. This first episode with John Cleese is incredible to hear because you include the South by Southwest panel with Dulce and, and Gaffigan. And it's really, really funny. But throughout, Cleese is just being so funny. He's he's in his 80s now and his energy's low. But he and Dulce are like working together doing beautiful improv. And Cleese keeps defending colonialism, talking about how old British white men are d- owed reparations, trying to be as offensive <laughs> as possible. At one point, Dulce gets up and takes his mic away, saying, no, no, I've got to save you, John Cleese. They're going to cancel you. They're going to cancel you. And literally, the report was John Cleese had his mic taken away from him for racist comments. So, you know, you put it in, in the best words, Dan, you're trying to put some context around comedy since we can't only do panels on Dave Chappelle and trans people all the time. There are other things to talk about in the comedy world. But you, you said in the opening episode that you acknowledge that things have changed and need to change, but there's still something Absolutely. to say about holding on to the things that make us laugh. I, I thought Cleese was purely being ironic and never doing anything that was out of touch or untoward. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that was the thing is that I think that he was he was using irony in a very, you know, classic comedic way. And look, I understand that, uh, you know, not only do values change, not only do, uh, you know, does language change, but comic comic sensibilities change. And, And I get that there may be a younger generation that doesn't work as ironically that doesn't yes. mean that irony is no longer an effective comic tool. It just means that, uh, again, you have to put some context around it for those whose ears are less accustomed to it, less attuned to it. And I don't want to be one of those people that, uh, you know, marches up and down and says, oh, these woke people are ruining comedy, which I, I, <laughs> for me, I think that's kind of a that's kind of a, a, a lazy hacky trope oh so, no dan dan jerry seinfeld really wants to play colleges he wants to play colleges so bad but they can't have him because they're so pc don't you read the headlines i here's the thing i really 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 do believe that there is a value in the way i think a young generation is trying to move as a society absolutely forward. and the funny thing is is that like all of the older comics now you know used to make fun of the guys who were 20 30 years their senior back then you know uh oh uh making fun of the the kids with the long hair and you know uh you know uh the tight pants and the yeah 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 music you know and uh, you know this they would make fun of how out of touch they were and now they've sort of become not all of them but many of them have become that which they used to mock and i just want to say hey okay every generation should be able to come along and say this is the world we want to have and the values you know we want to see take root all of that's great but again i do feel like there's just too much tribalism getting in the way of communication and comedy at its best is such an effective form of communication. Well, well let, let know, me ask you about, about that. Go ahead, Paul. Clip from, yeah, the, the thing about that clip that uh, we run in that episode uh, of the uh, South by Southwest uh, panel is that, you know, the audience is absolutely on board with what's going on. They're completely yeah. attuned Hilarious. to the iron. 
and the, and the comedy of it and the fact that, you know, they're even making fun of how much trouble they would get in if anybody else, you know, anybody who wasn't in here heard about it. You know, it's so funny. Yeah, the and running that, joke was, and, and this is why your phones are locked up. Yeah. That was yeah. the running and, joke of the and, whole show. And the journalist just said, uh, uh, okay, I can turn this into something that will generate some outrage clicks, you know, and that's, uh, yeah. and that conversation happens there, there as well about how culture has become, you know, addicted to outrage kind of thing. And you know what? I'm, I, I'm even somewhat sympathetic to the journalists because we see, you know, print journalism going away and, you know, these writers have to make a living. So clickbait is the way to do that i get it it's you know yeah. to me it's like if a <laughs> juilliard trained actor got out of school and the only work available was in porn you know that's what's going on with look journalism. dan if, if it's if it's good enough to ruin news it's good enough to ruin comedy but you, you know you you make so many <laughs> good points and i know to some degree this is the same kind of cultural struggle every generation goes through try getting a millennial to listen to a lenny bruce album all the way through the line is always moving uh you know it's the same with music the generation that was shocked by by swing music was then the next one was shocked by jazz then rock and roll then hip-hop but paul let me ask you you said something a moment ago that i, I wanted to to pick up on um my experience more and more has been there's one crucial thing the left and the right have in common and that is that for the most part we are all addicted to umbrage and our respective media cultures on the left and the right have figured that out there's no more devoted clicker of links about Donald Trump than Donald Trump haters. And it seems like as long as Umbridge is going to be driving the conversation, it's why we need envelope pushing comedians more than ever to blow up that whole balloon, Paul. I could not agree more. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, sometimes you're dealing with artists that are, it's very clear, you, you know, from from their history and their work that that there is irony at play, you know, uh, and it's sad when people have to uh, sort of take that out of their toolbox to continue Dan's reference uh, just because there's some unwritten thing. I, it's very, very complicated. But I mean, you know, I mean, if you go and see a, a Broadway play, you don't heckle the murderer because they're doing a bad thing. You know, <laughs> it's I mean, I'll take it a step further. Let, I mean, one of our the three of us favorite comedians I know is George Carlin. Like we all worship George Carlin as for me, maybe the greatest comedian, uh, you know, of my lifetime. I didn't always agree with where he was coming from. Right. And that's the thing. I, I got to know him well enough that I got to have conversations with him about bits. I disagreed with, you yeah. know, uh, Jonathan Winters, one of my closest friends in my entire life. Politically, we were very different animals. I remember Jonathan told me that his wife, Eileen, who I loved dearly, said to Jonathan at one point, gosh, John, I like that Dan Pasternak so much. It's a shame he's a Democrat. Can't we do something about that, John? Like, these are... You know, these are the touchstones, Jonathan Winters, George Carlin, people that I, I, I love, that I respect, and I didn't always have to agree with them, you know? Right. I think that's kind of okay, and I, and yeah. I do feel like in comedy, you can laugh at something even when you go, okay, 
Well, it's a meritocracy. We all know we all know comedians who are conservative in their voting habits and personal habits who we don't agree with for how their ideologies are, but we can appreciate them as artists. And we all have right wing associates who we will love on stage, even if we don't love what they stand for. But I, if you're just joining us, I'm talking with the two stars of the uh, essential new podcast, Obsessive Comedy Disorder, Mr. Dan Pasternak and Mr. Paul Provenza. Um, I, I, I knew this podcast was going to be something real when I saw that you devoted an episode to Bugs Bunny. And I'm going to get really serious here because I think that every joke teller of our generation and the two generations that came before it has been influenced, whether they know it or not, most directly by two people, Groucho Marx and Bugs Bunny. We don't talk enough about how Bugs Bunny, the character, influenced all American comedy, all American stand-up. Paul, you say in this episode where you talk to, to Eric Bowser, who does the voice of Bugs Daffy and Tweety, you say that Bugs was the first completely self-contained archetypical, hard-edged comic character you encountered as a kid. Why was it important to you gentlemen to devote a whole episode to Looney Tunes in terms of button-pushing and envelope-pushing comedy? There's a few layers to this, and a big part of it is uh, Dan's uh, connection with Eric and what he had in his back pocket for 40 years. Yes. Yes. So when I was a kid, I was friends with Mel Blanc. And <laughs> like I had conducted this interview with Mel when I was 14 years old and no one had ever heard it. It was a cassette tape that sat in a box here in my basement, in New Jersey, and I digitized it and fairly recently through social media got to be friendly with Eric Bowser, who is now the new voice of those Looney Tunes characters. And I was really moved by his story, his personal story, his love and his deep well of knowledge when it comes to, you know, the history, you know, and, and all that he was inheriting by taking on those parts. Yes. And I also thought he has a really great story in that he's the first non-white person as, you know, he's Filipino. Uh, he's from Canada, but it's, you know, it's, he's first generation Canadian mother and father both from the philippines and i thought wow he is kind of for his generation what a lot of jewish comedians were a couple of generations back who were kind of using comedy and this ear for dialects to assimilate you know and uh, process the the immigrant experience so there was a lot there was a lot in having this conversation and yes, all on top of this layer, yeah. as you were saying that Bugs Bunny and Groucho Marx were for me, my two first incredibly formative comedic influences. I would agree. And you know, it's great that the, the, the care of these voices and characters has gone into the hands of someone who so clearly is a devotee. It's not just that he's a good impressionist. He loves these characters and their history. I, I, I hope star Wars gets put in such good hands, but it's, it's what happened before any of us were born in what it was that made Bugs Bunny such a deviant joke teller. And indeed, in many ways, as you point out, Paul, in many ways, for many of us, the first kind of comedian figure we ever meet as children. Yeah, I mean, well, I remember you know, parents the, being the, horrified about me. Go ahead. About, about those Looney Tunes cartoons is that they were made for adults. 
And uh, so they incorporated a, a lot of the classic sort of vaudevillian comic tropes, early silent film comic tropes. Uh, and, you know, they just everything all at once in this uh, animated world. It just was like a uh, Bugs Bunny really was like a culmination. It was like a, like an endpoint of all the comedy that came before him. So if you were into Bugs Bunny, you were getting a serious education in comedy yes. history. Yes. And joke writing and, and delivery and timing. Joker, and just those the directors of those cartoons, first Freeling and Chuck Jones, they were geniuses. And if you really think uh, you really want to like get inside of Bugs Bunny analytically and psychologically. Yeah. I mean, what you're looking at is is a classic anti-authoritarian. Yes. Anarchist. Yes. Comic character. I mean, he literally is fighting back from the, you know, looking down the barrel of a gun in most cases. Yes. You know, that right there is so educational in terms of what makes comedy work. Because like Groucho, Bugs Bunny is not just an anarchist. He's an anarchist who's always in control. And you know he's always going to manage the chaos himself. And I think that only works well in comedy and fascist political movements. Those two disciplines, <laughs> the only ways. There's a lot of overlap in that Venn diagram. How, how did you guys pick the guests you wanted to have on Obsessive Comedy Disorder? It's an interesting lineup. You know, Paul and I spent a lot of time talking about how big could this canvas be because we didn't want it to just be stand-up and in a way we eschewed a lot of stand-up when we started talking about you know okay what are the furthest reaches of everything that we will stir into the mix that represents the range of comedy you know so yeah and also it really had to do with Finding guests and finding stories that weren't, you know, just, hey, come on, let's let's have an unstructured conversation. It was really exactly. like like when we invited Bruce Valanche on, it wasn't just because Bruce Valanche is hilarious and has a million great stories. He is and he does. We invited him on very specifically to talk about a 45 year old uh, gay themed sketch comedy album that he produced with Bob Booker and George Foster, the guys who produced so many of the like classic sketch comedy albums, going all the way back to the first family. Right. Booker and Foster and Bruce Valanche in 1977 did a gay sketch comedy album called Out of the Closet. And I said, wow, I've never heard Bruce talk about that. Let's have that conversation, what it <laughs> meant to do a gay-themed sketch comedy album in 1977. Wow. And then, of course, I, Bruce, who's never actually, you know, he's never, like, come out, come out. He's just always been Bruce and never, you know, had an issue about being gay. It was never a thing. It's just who he was. For him to be doing this album at a time when that was not the way gay comedians or gay performers or anybody in the public eye, you know, operated. Uh, and so his his perspective on all of that and how they chose the material and developed yes. the pieces and what they were trying to say to essentially, they were really trying to communicate to a mainstream audience. And of course, I, fascinating because Bruce also told us all these incredible stories leading up to the making of this album of working with Paul Lind. 
Well, yeah, so, I was going to say, I remember my mom letting us stay up to watch Paul Lynn's network special. And I can tell you, my mom probably didn't know he was gay any more than we did at the time. But it was on primetime TV in the 70s. And it's him and Tony Randall cross-dressing in women's clothing so they can use a ladies room because the men's room is being prepared. It was so crazy. It would never be allowed on primetime today. And, and, and Bruce told a great story about, uh, about how Liberace never got married. He's still a bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Bruce told a story about uh, Paul Lynn doing this kind of um, variety style show that he would do in like theater in the round kind of situations. And he would do a, a, like a Q&A with the audience, sort of a la Carol Burnett. Right. And you know, he would sort of come out with a, like a martini in one hand and a cigarette in the other. And he'd be dressed in a caftan. And someone, he said, invariably would ask Paul Lynn from the audience, are you married? And he said that Paul Lynn's stock answer to that is, lady, do you live in a cave? <laughs> All right. I, I want to I, I sent you guys the list. I want to do a lightning round and just pick your brains on a couple of uh, very important comedy landmark issues. Um, who is your pick for the most underrated stand up comic that more people should be listening to? Alive or dead? Oh, geez. Well, at the top of my alive or dead is a big difference here. But let's I'm going to go with this. I think uh, Brother Theodore is a comedian that really more people should get to know. Yes. Dan. Yeah, it's funny. Paul and I have talked a lot about sort of the alternative comedians that existed prior to that term coming into you know, common parlance and brother Theodore and, uh, you know, professor Irwin Corey are, are at the top yes. of that list of like, you know, proto, uh, alt comics. Um, I, I have four names of people that I would think people who are listening to this, if they're interested in this conversation should know Jean Carroll, mm -hmm. incredibly influential and not nearly discussed enough in terms of her influence. I think her name has sort of come up more since The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel as a touchstone, but her stuff right. is great. Jackie Gale was someone that yes. I got to know really well and just, just as unbelievably funny as any comic you'll ever see. Someone that Paul and I talk about all the time who is alive and working at 80 years old and... Again, if you want to go out and see one of the greats, Robert Klein, still on yeah. the planet, still brilliant, yeah. unbelievably important, and I don't think gets heralded nearly enough. And then yes. one guy we lost far too young from the 80s comedy boom that I don't think nearly enough people talk about is Richard Jenny. Rich Jenny, one of my all-time favorite comics. Yeah. Uh, uh, every Catholic comic loves Richard Jenny. I'll tell you that. Favorite Marx Brothers so, film of all I'm, time. I'm, I'm sorry to see that. I, I, I think uh, people are becoming less and less aware of someone who we lost rather recently, uh, who I think is one of the most important comedians to see. Uh, and that was Patrice O'Neill. I course. think he has a very limited uh, you know, amount of work as a stand up. Most of his stuff is just BSing with, uh, you know, on Colin Quinn's show or with yeah. Opie and Anthony, whatever. But his stand-up is absolutely stunning, and, and it really breaks my heart every time I watch it because we lost I that agree. way too soon. He was a real bright light. 
I had the great pleasure of doing a lot of those Colin Quinn shows with Patrice and just, you know, just telling your mother jokes back and forth is just, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. one piece of his genius. Uh, Let me ask, though, favorite Marx Brothers film? What's your top pick? Well, mine is Duck Soup for sure. Dan? I think the answer is supposed to be Duck Soup. Now, I will tell you, anybody who answers this question and doesn't pick one of the Paramount Four Marx Brothers movies doesn't know what they're talking about. Although Night at the Opera, Day at the Races, both great movies they still are a half step below any of the Paramount for Marx Brothers movies. Yes. But I think the answer is Animal Crackers for me. And that is and not to deny guy. the greatness of Duck Soup. Animal Crackers just is the one that always makes me laugh the most. Absolutely. Well, the reason I love Duck Soup so much is because it's it's timeless tale of uh, war and, <laughs> and nationalism. Yeah, and it's hilarious. Um, Obsessive Comedy Disorder is the new 10-episode interview podcast. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Paul Provenza, Dan Pasternak, it's always a joy to see you even virtually over Zoom. Please come back and join us more often on the show. And thank you for this wonderful podcast. I listened to this thing, and it made me want to go right. That's how great it is. Thank you all so much. This is Progress. Progress.